Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that pokes its nose into every corner of the property world. Today we're heading into the countryside and asking, what can landowners and farmers do to earn some extra money from their property? It's highly diverse, right through to the most basic, taking the old milking parlour and turning it into an office, through to multi-million pound investments in wholesale change of the business. And there's never any gain without pain. So how can they make sure the numbers add up? As a general rule of thumb, I think we probably try to look for the low-hanging fruits first, so ones where there isn't much capital investment. And things like attracting third-party events is one obvious low-risk type of enterprise. Filming is another one. I'm Guy Ruddle, and with me are two people who are up to their elbows in land diversification. Ashley Lilly is a farm business consultant at Savills. He spends his whole time providing strategic and business reorganisation advice to farmers for a fee, presumably. And we've persuaded him to come into the studio and do the same for us for free. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Guy. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And Simon Foster is Savills Head of Tourism, Leisure and Events. Probably a bit simplistic this, but Simon does basically the same as Ashley, but for larger properties, including some of the great estates of the land, Chatsworth, Burley, Woburn Abbey, all my houses, actually. Hello, Simon. How are you? Hello, Guy. Good. Uh, right. So let's get into this. I think this is quite a broad subject, talking about what you know farmers and landowners can do. And you know, there are lots of different things, and I'm sure we'll get into those. But are there, do you think there are some sort of general principles uh, that landowners and farmers should be thinking about when they start down this road i think from my point of view there are there are a number of principles really first is whether they've got the physical assets to be able to create if you like income generating businesses so do they have the buildings the land to be able to do it Uh, they need to think about the sort of geography of where they're located and whether that's going to work in terms of the markets that they want to operate in but then perhaps most importantly, one of the considerations that we need to think about is do they actually have the skills themselves to be able to set up and run those businesses and, or indeed the interest in it. So those are the sort of key things that, uh, that we would be looking at. And that's at your end, Simon, on the yeah. sort of the bigger side. Did that resonate with you, Ashley? Yeah, so in addition to the points that Simon's already covered, I guess a key driver for a lot of the people I would deal with is financial. Um, and it's off the back of either static or declining profitability of their core farming business. Uh, clearly, a big issue that is current is the future of the basic payment scheme, so the subsidy payments to farmers. Um, in all likelihood, it's likely to decline. Uh, DEFRA have sort of mapped out a way forward that shows that uh, that transition period will be between 2020 and 2027. So businesses are really looking for ways to replace that income for gone. Yeah, so it's not just a choice thing. It's, it's, there's an absolute desperate need to do this. There is a need. The, 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 there's, a, there's a time to plan and make things happen. But, you know, clearly the, the timescales have now been set out and, and it really is over to, over to business managers to decide how they take the business forward. I think uh, from, from both of our points of view, we would both say that we've seen a significant increase in interest in diversifying over the last 18 months, 24 months, because of what's coming down the line in terms of reduced subsidies. So it's very much higher on the agenda now than it was perhaps a few years ago. Would you agree? I would. I, I, it's also cat and stick. So the, 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 sort, of the, the, the sort of looming threat of, of reducing subsidies is the stick. 
Uh, there is or has been a carrot, which is the availability of capital grants and funding. So, yeah, businesses have sort of seen that opportunity and, and gone for it. So there, the, you can because I was about to, to ask about, you know, the, the investment side of it, because you can't, you know, I mean, at one level, if you've got a, a redundant farm building, it's not, you know, you've got to do something to it to make it usable. So there is an investment side of it, but there is money available, is there, for that? Uh, I mean, it, it's a good point, Guy. I mean, the, the, they don't have to be capital intensive projects, but, uh, you know, quite often they are. Um, there, there is or there has been um, funding available through DEFRA and ironically it's, it's funds drawn down from, from the EU so obviously we'll have to wait and see what happens post-Brexit. Um, but yeah, um, uh, farmers have been able to claim up to 40% of the capital costs towards their, their particular project. When people start looking at this, Simon, do you, I mean, I don't want you, don't want you to insult any of your clients or potential clients, but are landowners, do you think, really realistic when they start thinking about this, about the, the upfront costs and, the, and, you know, how much time it's going to take to get that money back, etc.? Sometimes. I mean, I think it's, uh, it varies from case to case. And I think, interestingly, the, a lot of the clients that I'm dealing with in the larger properties are now much younger. Um, so there's a new sort of next generation, if you like, coming through who, who very often are quite entrepreneurial. They've had careers in, in London, in media, in city or whatever, and they, they have quite strong financial skills. So they're quite realistic about what, what is needed um, financially and for other reasons too in terms of setting up businesses. Now, we haven't actually talked about what sorts of things people can do and should do. Now, from from my background, I'm always thinking, in t- in, actually on your side, on the, on the farming, the, that it's all about taking a building and turning it into sort of office space or something like that, because that's I know people have done that 20, 30 years ago. Uh, Simon, from your side, I, I think of music festivals, because I'm that sort of a person. I, I, I'm imagining that it's a little bit more diverse and a little bit more complicated than that. It's highly diverse, right through to the most basic, taking the old milking parlour and turning it into an office, through to multi-million pound investments in pretty much wholesale change of the business. Right. And what sort of things? Your favourite things that you've seen over the over the years? What are the, what are the great favorite examples? Things, uh, I think just just getting farm produce direct out to the consumer so farm shops and cafes and direct retailing and i i, I think it's great because it allow it allows the farmers to actually capture a greater share of of the end market so yeah. great the more of that the better simon well you mentioned festivals i mean it's a good example actually of a kind of sort of low-hanging fruit where a kind of asset rich cash poor estate that doesn't have any sort of public profile can attract a festival and go from sort of complete obscurity to somewhere with kind of national a national profile and generate i don't know 200 250,000 pounds a year in fees from a from an event so suddenly you know their financial financial position is 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 altered quite dramatically on the back of winning that event and at the risk of sort of going too far down one particular route what, what as a landowner what do you have to do to do that because presumably you're not putting the festival on yourself you're yeah you know, there are big production companies or whatever that yeah i mean in terms of events i mean our advice is always to try and steer clear of putting on events yourself because the the risk uh, is is immense um so it's about really promoting your estate um to the outside world and knowing who to approach and quite often actually just getting on the phone and ringing people up and saying you know we've got a 
you know, 500 acre park, which we would love to see being used for a, a pop festival or a mountain bike championships, come and have a look. And, and, and very often they will come and have a look and bingo, you know, suddenly they've got a big event on their hands. Really? I mean, as simple as that? Or yeah. are, you, are they having to sort of, I don't know, different access and things like that? Or? There's lots of considerations. So yes, I mean, the estate, you know, if, if, it's a, if it's a festival site, then there needs to be two, if not three points of access. There needs to be a water network. There needs to be a network of roads around the site. There needs to be plenty of flat land for parking cars and camping. So lots of things to think about. But uh, if you've got all those ingredients and crucially situated near sort of major centres of population, then uh, you could be onto a bit of a winner. Yeah, lots lots going on. Look, you've got a top 10 diversification trends thing here. Can we just rattle through some of them one at a time? And whether they, I I suspect some apply more to actually your end of the market and some to to more of some. First one, glamping. Did did you see farmers doing doing glamping or is that more a sort of festival type thing? both ends, right, right from the farmer who thinks I'll just have a couple of pods in the corner of the field through to, Simon, you've been involved with some of the quite significant projects where, again, I expect it's significant investment, significant planning. Yeah, we do, we do lots of glamping projects and it's a really easy, well, not an easy way, but it's a, it's a relatively low capital cost business to set up. The returns can be fantastic. And we're probably working on about four different glamping schemes at the moment around the country for shepherd's huts, micro lodges, tree houses. And these are quite sophisticated units that are kind of as luxurious as a holiday cottage for a fraction of the price yeah, so yeah. they're really attractive schemes let me just run through them because if we went through all of them we'd be here all day but you've got things like deer farming survival skills and rural crafts and does that include paintballing by the way that is that is that a, a, a survival skills thing yeah i mean the the paintballing it tends to be something more where it's a sort of a franchise opportunity so again it's it's right. it's back to location it's back to chimney pot centers of population mm. but if you've got the right facilities then yeah go for it weddings adventures sorry Simon, i was just going to say on on the on the bushcraft side we're doing a piece of work for a, a national bushcraft company and finding them sites around the uk on rural estates to set up sort of educational courses so wow. you know landowners with with large blocks of woodland that might not be used and are not particularly productive that's a really nice way of generating income I think winemaking, brewing and distilling is probably that. That's definitely, good, definitely the way forward. Good, good topic to focus on. I mean, viticulture in the UK has really, really taken off. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a big growth industry. Um, sales are up 31%, um, obviously climatically. Um, it's one positive about, about climate change. Um, and there are actually some, some, you know, fairly key parts of the UK which is suitable to producing wine, yeah. planting vines, yeah. I mean, obviously... You know, some of these examples, and there are more, and, and, uh, and, and we won't go through everyone in detail, but some of these examples involve more upfront investment than others. And do, do you have a sort of, is there a, I don't know, is there a sort of size scale thing? Do you, do you advise farmers not to spend too much in the upfront investment and people with big land, you know, more or? or? Generally, we, we would take, take the view, sort of suck it and see. You know, it's, it, 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 it is. Uh, a sensible approach to start, start small to build up um, and if things go well to expand um, equally there are people that they'll do the homework they'll put their business plan together um, and they'll say yep yeah, okay we can see the scale that we need to to be at and and we'll go for it and they'll they'll either be able to fund that themselves or they'll go to the bank with a strong business case and the bank will say yeah we can see the case to do this go for it yeah 
and and of course the other side is that Simon the side that you're talking about mm-hmm. where you where you take less risk and you hand over the project to yeah. somebody else and you yeah. you provide the access on the and the utilities and things like that you obviously take less money i presume out of it but you aren't you know you aren't exposing yourself financially so yeah much. I mean, as a general rule of thumb i think we probably try to look for the low-hanging fruits first so ones where there are, isn't much capital investment because as i said before my clients tend to be sort of cash poor and things like attracting third-party events is one obvious low risk type of enterprise filming is another one uh, and a lot of the sort of clients that i work for have beautiful houses lovely parks pretty cottages redundant barns which are great film locations so if they can attract those zero risk really nice money yeah that's great and it's, and, and it's not going to decrease i guess i mean this presumably is going to happen more and more and more as we go on right i think so i mean there, there, there does seem to be this drive to sort of get back to nature get out into the countryside um and those are the resources that our clients have got available. So we've, we've just got to be on the lookout for the opportunities. So the one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the W word, uh, Simon, weddings. I mean, this is the thing, you know, everybody's doing weddings, aren't they? Well, you know, everywhere I go, people say, isn't the weddings market saturated? And I'm afraid my answer is no, it's not. It's a very, very competitive market. Almost everywhere in the country, as you rightly say, they're doing weddings. But if you can do it well and you can do something a little bit differently, there's still business there and you can do very, very well out of it. Well, what do you mean by differently? I mean, it, you know, surely the difference is, is you know, it's either Chatsworth or it's <laughs> maybe well, not places like that, but you know what I mean? No, I mean, the tr- tr- trends have changed and actually the demand for houses like Chatsworth and Burley and Woburn you refer to is probably, if anything, slightly reduced. And the, the trend now is for something a little bit more informal, a bit more rustic. And I'll give you a quick example. I've, we've got a client in Gloucestershire who built a fantastic sort of purpose-built wedding venue at the end of his garden, oak frame, grass roof, rammed oak walls, really cool and trendy, bit of a sort of nightclub vibe to it. Within 24 months, he was doing 145 weddings a year. Um, wow. and, and, and has maintained that number ever since it was opened three years ago. So if you, you know, you put your money where your mouth is, you do something in a little bit, that's a little bit different that sets you apart from the competition. Uh, you can do very, very well. Actually, it's sort of, it, I always imagined the, the weddings market to be more in his territory than in yours. But it, it, from that example, is it something that a, a farmer's getting into this? Yeah, game? again, that, you know, there are people doing it on farm and they probably are focusing on the rustic, the natural, the sort of yeah the, the the sort of close to nature vibe that's um the barns i mean yeah, the barn venues thing. are yeah. probably the yeah. most yeah. popular yeah well i have to get married again i get an experience <laughs> <laughs> don't tell mrs ruddle um that's excellent guys thank you so much for that it's just fascinating god we do such interesting things when we on, on real estate insights we learn about stuff that we would otherwise never know about Have you been warned about the Savile standout statistic, you two? We have. Okay. So you said that with a certain amount of trepidation. I might have created a, a, a rod here that I didn't mean to. All we need is a little stat that makes that you think people might go, oh, that's interesting. I didn't, didn't think of it like that before. So uh, who wants to go first? Ashley, why don't you come up with your Savile so, standout statistic? So I'm going to go back to something we touched on a little bit earlier, which is viticulture. I think it's a really exciting sector uh, for agriculture. Um, and to set the scene, you know, we, we, we currently produce about 6 million bottles a year of English wine. 
Um, according to an association, uh, the trade association WineGB, who've, who've done some research, they are projecting that we're producing 400 million bottles by 2040 um, with a value of approximately £1 billion. So quite significant growth there. Quite significant, massive growth. That's amazing. Gosh, if that happens, that will be truly transformational. Simon, what about uh, your Savile standout stat? Well, mine's about the tourism economy generally. And according to Visit England, the economy is worth approximately £127 billion at the moment. Predictions are that it will grow annually at about 3.8%, which is significantly faster than the overall UK economy and be worth a staggering £257 billion by 2025. And that represents nearly 10% of GDP. So very, very strong predictions for tourism generally. And landowners and farmers need to capture as much of that as they possibly can. Guys, thank you, as I say, for being here. It's been really tremendous. Uh, That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. And if you aren't already a subscriber to us, then please feel free to become one using your usual podcast provider. You can browse podcasts we've already made, including things like what we need to do to finally make sure we build enough homes in the UK and how we can green up those homes to make them nicer places to live as well as saving the planet at the same time. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.